Hey everyone, this is John Gunter from the Eagle Community Church of Christ. Thanks again for tuning in to our podcast. Uh, this is a podcast about our teaching here at our church, and we'd love for you to join us. Uh, you can find out all about us at eaglechurchofchrist.com. This week we continue in our Stronger series. This week we're talking about confession. One thing I've really been impressed with in my, my church here is uh, people are open, people are listening, and they are confessing things. And that is, that is one thing God tells us to do, and it's amazing to see how you confessing your sins or me confessing mine really change the hearts and minds of other people. We always think it kind of focuses on ourselves, but it really impacts other people. Thanks again uh, for listening. We hope you enjoyed this lesson. We'll see you soon. Bye-bye. We had, a, uh, we had a whole march of young children first service today, and uh, I just want to remind you guys that uh, we welcome your children and grandchildren. Um, I have been a part of churches where they just they had a teacher ready in case a child came because they were not normally there. Uh, I've also been in a situation where a guy got up after a service and made us all nervous because we're not used to impromptu things in the Church of Christ. Um, somebody gets up, and they're not scheduled to get up. We get nervous. Um, and so he came to the front after, after the sermon and kind of chastised um, people who brought kids that their kids weren't quiet enough for him to hear. And uh, if you have that attitude, don't worry, you won't have kids very long. Uh, so as long as I'm the minister here, if your kids are loud, I will speak louder. Uh, because having kids in a church right now is a blessing. Uh, and, and sometimes we don't understand that until we don't have that blessing anymore. So bring your kids, bring your grandkids. When I got to Mineral Springs a couple of months in, uh, of course, our boys were about four years younger than they are, so probably four and under one. And so I go back to, uh, to Katie after the service, and she's sitting like next to back row, like kind of where you guys are sitting. And uh, I go back there, and it looks like we have purposefully uh, made it rain like Cheez-Its, <laughs> goldfish, you know, I mean, it is. And so I took a picture and put it on Facebook. I listen, these, these are one of the preacher's kids. So, so we can deal with that. You know, I, I can run a vacuum. It's all right. Uh, so bring your own. So we want to encourage you guys to uh, bring your own. The only thing is, last time I mentioned that, uh, as soon as I got done mentioning it, uh, one of Julia's uh, daughters kicked her shoe at me, and it was perfect, perfect timing. Uh, <laughs> It was, it was, but I was serious. It doesn't matter where you're at. We can, we can roll with all of that. So uh, bring your kids, bring your grandkids, and again, let your, uh, let your neighbors know that we're here in this community and ready to serve. So uh, again, glad that you're all, all with us. Uh, this, I'm sorry, go ahead, DC. I brought my little grandson. If he goes fine, I'll pinch his nose. Yeah, whatever you need to do. <laughs> whatever you need to do. Uh, if we need to, we need to, you know, stop for a minute or whatever. He's like, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. He brought you into this. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Maybe you need to take D.C. out. I don't know. But. <laughs> we continue uh, every week. I hope you've seen uh, common threads in our, in our series as we've gone through what we call the Stronger Summer. We're encouraging our church to grow closer to God, that we draw closer to Him uh, throughout all of our life, that baptism uh, when, we, when we accept Jesus, when we say, I'm on team Jesus, we're, we're pledging our allegiance to Jesus Christ, but that's not the end of the journey, that's the beginning. Many of you have, have lived that because uh, a lot of times when you pledge your allegiance to Jesus, when you decide, now is the time in my life, 
where I'm going to change and follow him, that's when your struggles will come. Because now Satan knows that he's got work to do uh, to get you back. And so we, we've got a young man that we baptized recently that, that's going right through that. And I'm like, don't even be surprised because that's what happens. And so we want to encourage everyone not to just hang out and wait for the school year to start or anything like that, that we, we want to be moving closer to God. And so this morning, I want, as I mentioned a little earlier, we're going to talk about uh, confession from Psalm 51. I'm going to start out by reading the first few verses of Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Now, what I like about this psalm is its, its rawness, that this is traditionally, this is a psalm of David after his affair with Bathsheba. And we're going we're gonna to touch on that in just a minute. We're going to read that account because I know most of you are going to know that, but we're going we're gonna to revisit it so it's fresh in our mind. But I like, I like this because of David's vulnerability in this moment. That David looks around, and you remember the, the story, uh, the prophet Nathan comes and, and has, to, has to tell him and, and all of these things. Um, and, and so he has to like have a wake-up moment, almost a come-to-Jesus moment, almost a hit rock bottom. And so he comes before God saying, my sin is always before me. How many of you like feel that way? <laughs> you don't have to raise your hand. But in the struggle of the Christian life, the, the Christian life is never guaranteed to be easy. Jesus never says, hey, come to me so you'll be comfortable. Remember, Jesus tells this man who says, hey, I'll follow you wherever you go. And he says, hold up just a second. Foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man doesn't have a place to lay his head. This is not going to be easy, and we're not real comfortable with that. Because we'd like to assure everyone, if you'll follow Jesus, everything will be okay. And it will be in the end, right? But that doesn't mean our walk right here will be without struggle. And so I think for a lot of us, when we think about those struggles, we have a hard time with it. We have a hard time confessing that we've done something wrong. And when we do, we have a hard time even forgiving ourselves. And so we feel like our sin is always before us. Uh, if you're like me, uh, growing up in church, you know, I've heard, I don't know how many sermons, uh, all of these things. And so it feels like I should know better. And so I am hard on myself because I should know better. And that's our problem is when we sin, when that thing that, that's got a hold in your life that you just can't seem to shake, we will beat ourselves up and it feels like we are constantly holding on to this, that our sin is ever before us. And what do we do with that? Because I think for a lot of us, we feel like we have to be perfect. Anybody feel like that? Like the, the, the feeling? Now, now, Scripture will say, be perfect. And what do you do with that? But does God actually think you will be perfect? Now, we're going to talk about that in just a minute. First, I want to uh, direct you to 2 Samuel chapter 11. This is the story of David and Bathsheba. 
In the spring at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him, and he slept with her. Now she was purifying herself from her monthly uncleanness. Then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David, saying, I'm pregnant. So David sent this word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite, and Joab sent him to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked him how Joab was, how the soldiers were, and how the war was going. Then David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. So Uriah left the palace, and a gift from the king was sent after him. But Uriah slept at the entrance to the palace with all his master servants and did not go down to his house. David was told, Uriah did not go home. So he asked Uriah, haven't you just come from a military campaign? Why didn't you go home? Uriah said to David, the ark and Israel and Judah are staying in tents. And my commander Joab and my Lord's men are camped in the open country. How can I go to my house to eat and drink and make love to my wife? As surely as you live, I will not do such a thing. Then David said to him, stay here one more day and tomorrow I will send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. At David's invitation, he ate and drank with him, and David made him drunk. But in the evening, Uriah went out to sleep on his mat among his master's servants. He did not go home. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it with Uriah. And in, in it, he wrote, Put Uriah out in the front where the fighting is fiercest, then withdraw from him so he will be struck down and die. So while Joab had the city under siege, he put Uriah at a place where he knew the strongest defenders were. When the men of the city came out and fought against Joab, some of the men in David's army fell. Moreover, Uriah the Hittite died. So this is the story of David, King David. The same David that is mentioned as a man after God's own heart. So how in the world do we rectify a story like that with a man after God's own heart? A man who, I want to use the word sleazy. Is that okay this morning? Like, that's pretty sleazy, right? Like, he, he goes out and he looks at this woman who is very beautiful, and he uses his power to bring her to him. Some people look at this and say, this is rape. This is a man in a position of authority, and that's what happens. How do you say no to the king when he calls? And not only that, when he finds out, listen, this is not a one-night stand. This is not a, uh, this is it and it's over. Hey, she's pregnant. His response is, oh, Lord, I'm sorry, right? No, I've got to kill her husband, a man after God's own heart. So what in the world makes David a man after God's own heart? I want to, I want to mention something before uh, we get into this. You might not catch when you, when you first start this. But when Israel, you remember, Israel wasn't ever supposed to have a king. They were told not to have a king, but they came and they pleaded. They said, listen, we need a king like the rest of the nations. We want to be like everybody else. And God was like, if you have a king, this is how it's going to go. But we want a king to fight battles and to do all these things. He's like, well, you're going to get taxed and all these things are going to happen. 
So I want you to notice here the, the very first verse. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, what in the world was Israel's king doing? He's back at the house. That's exactly right. He's sitting at home. And so you remember, even with Saul, they were like, you know, the, the slight against Saul was David is better. Saul has killed his thousands, but David his ten thousands. So we want David as our king. Well, in the spring, when kings go off to war, David is sitting at the house. Yeah, and it says there uh, just a little bit longer, uh, a little bit further down, it says, they destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. There's a reason it says that twice. Because early readers of this is like, oh yeah, that, that's not right. Why in the world is the king sitting at home when he should be out? So everything about David here is not consistent with what you'd think a man of God would be, right? A man after God's own heart. But what makes him such? Remember back to Psalm 51. This, I, am, I have finally been confronted, and now I am going to confess before the Lord. <laughs> And that's what makes David a man after God's own heart is because in that moment, now it took a lot. Anybody else feel like it takes a lot for you? Like I got to hit, I'm hard-headed. If you've got a hard-headed person in here, just elbow them real quick so I can take count. Like sometimes it seems like it takes a lot for me to realize, man, I've messed up. I have walked down the wrong road. I thought it would lead to something uh, that I would like. But now that I'm looking at the, the consequences, now I'm looking at where I have been taken, I don't like that. And so what makes David a man after God's own heart is he, when he finally has that moment where he hits rock bottom, somebody confronts him or something, he finally says, God, I am sorry. My sin is before me. And if you know the rest of that story, there were some consequences to that, right? There were some things, even though David confesses, there were some things that can't be undone. There's some things that, that, that can't be taken back. But God wants us to lay those sins before him. And often we are either afraid or ashamed to do that. I have shared this, this with you before. And I told the first service, I promise I won't keep sharing it. I will try. But in, uh, at the Tulsa workshop a few years ago, Joe Beam uh, spoke. And one of the things he said was he had researched Every time there was a big revival, like a community-wide revival that, what, no, I'm not talking about just everybody got together and had a, had a sermon and some good singing. I'm talking about something that was real and something that affected the church where everybody got serious. You know, you saw change, not only in the church, but in the community. Like, we're going out for this. We're all serious about this now. We're not playing church. You get what I'm saying. And Joe said he had gone back 200 years, and every single time that a revival of that magnitude had broken out, it started with the leaders of that church confessing their sin. Why do you think that is? Because if the leaders can confess and tell you their problems, then nobody else has to pretend like everybody else is perfect, right? Because what many of us do is we come to a place like this and we want to be encouraged but we sit in the seat and we look over at somebody else and we think, they have got it together. I wish our family was like that family. 
I wish we had it together like them. And because we don't confess enough to each other, we don't understand that the them you're talking about is struggling with the same thing you're struggling with. And if we'd only confess and bring those things before our Lord and God and before each other, we would understand that we're just, we're just people. Sometimes we hold the leadership of our churches to a, a standard that just cannot be met. That if, if the leaders or um, especially paid staff, you know, all of a sudden you find out they have a sin in their life, it may be an emergency elders meeting. We need them gone. I don't think that would happen here. I'm going to put Mickey on the spot. That wouldn't happen here, would it, Mickey? Revolt if he says yes. But, but we sit there with our, with our stuff, and, and once people confess, and especially leadership, a king then all of a sudden we're on the same level. Not high and lifted up. Erroneously. And so confession is a powerful thing. Confession brings us together and makes us understand that we are all in this together. That we all struggle with the same thing. Maybe yours is different than mine, but I bet it's not different from somebody else's in here. I am willing to bet that most of you haven't had an affair with a woman that had her husband killed. King David. And so what do we do with that? We confess, we, put, we bear uh, our sin before God and before people. And at that moment, we don't have to hide. We don't have to put up a facade because at that moment, you know me. I confessed last week, didn't I? Because two weeks ago, I sat here, right here on this rug, where I make y'all nervous if I'm standing on the edge. At Mineral Springs, it was about three foot tall, and I still did the same thing. I never fell off, so I appreciate the concern. <coughs> but I sat here, and I preached a sermon about hospitality, and just a few hours later, had the perfect opportunity to show someone hospitality, and I was so worried about my own situation that I didn't do it. I sent him on my way. Now, I could have kept that from you guys. But what kind of example would that be? And the number of people that came up to me and said, yeah, been there, done that. Because ministry is not, hey, we'll set this up and people come to us at the appointed time. Ministry is dirty. It's messy. It's in the moment. It's impromptu, the things that make us nervous, right? But that's what it is. But confession is also something that we need to have happen for God to just forgive us and for us to walk away today in a right relationship with God. Look at this from 1 John. I'm going to have to read this up. It's too bright back there. From 1 John chapter 1, this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. Now, over the last few weeks, we have struggled with some Scripture. You know, when I come to Scripture and I think, uh, I, know where they're, I know what they're thinking here. I'm going to pull that out. I want to have an aside. So I think for a lot of us, we believe we have to be perfect. And God, God calls you to, to strive to be closer to Him, to, to be more perfect, but understands that you won't be. So when we come to a Scripture like this, if I'm thinking I have to be perfect to be in a right relationship with God, then I think I'm just out here living a lie. 
Because every one of us knows what we struggle with, right? Like you know, you may not know, you, you, nobody else may know in your family or around you. You may have secret sins that you feel like, if I lock it away, it'll be controlled, which is a terrible idea. Because at that point, you're deciding to fight it on your own. When you don't understand that other people are fighting and you can help support each other. But we come to something like this and we think, well, man, I know better. I don't want to walk in darkness. I feel like I'm walking in darkness because I know better and I keep doing that thing. Well, don't take the first part of verse 5 and 6 if you're not going to take the rest. Verse 7 starts like this. He says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus. His son purifies us from what church? All sin. You mean the one you're struggling with is, is not the exception? You mean the one that you're keeping hidden is not the one that is so bad that God doesn't want to forgive you for that? Because isn't that the way it feels? Like I have known better and I still do it. And because of that, it is so bad that God, if, you, if I confess to people, they would never forgive me. There's no way God can forgive me and Sure is everything, I'm not going to forgive myself. The blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Now, the verb there is a continuation. It means it continually purifies you. Let me ask you this question, church. Here's a trivia question. Do perfect people, perfect sinless people need constant purification? Yeah. That's right. That's right. Exactly. They don't exist, do they? He came, and that's the reason we can get constant purification, because we are not perfect. God asks you to be perfect. He, he asks you to draw closer to him, but he knows you're not going to live perfectly. So walk in the light. You're going to stumble. But get up and keep walking. And when you do that, when you repent of those things, when you confess the blood of his son Jesus purifies you. And you walk without that sin ever before you. Some of you need to be released from that today. Some of you need to let some things go that you haven't forgiven yourself from, or maybe you need to confess so somebody else knows it can hold you accountable. Look at the rest of this verse here. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So the idea that Again, maybe I have that secret sin that as long as I have this church face and you don't know that about me, that as long as I can do that, now maybe I, I'm pulling it off that I am sinless, that I don't have any struggles, that I have it all together. You guys, I mean, I don't know what you're doing. So we, de we deceive ourselves. Confess, have the humility to say, God, I struggle. <laughs> he already knows. Like I heard a preacher say one time, uh, if you read the rest of the Psalms, you know, there are a lot of Psalms that are either praying against somebody, God, would you strike them down, or, or God, I don't know where you're at. Like, people are angry with God. And uh, a preacher, said, one of the guys in his group said, you know what, if I was angry at God, I sure wouldn't tell him. <laughs> I was like, what, what is your view of God? Like, as long as I don't verbalize it, he doesn't know. 
Like as long as I don't tell God about that secret sin or that, that thing, he doesn't understand I struggle with it. And my brothers and sisters certainly don't, right? We're deceiving ourselves. Just be honest. We are people. But look at this. He says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful. Let's say that again, church. He is what? God is faithful. What's he going to do with that? He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. How much unrighteousness? All of it. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. Every time you see repetition, all right, notice that's the point. You, you keep deceiving yourself. You're trying to deceive either yourself or others. You just keep doing that. God already knows. Why don't you drop the act and confess? Because you have the opportunity right now in this moment to walk away from this point in time in a perfect relationship with God. Because he says, if you'll just confess it, God is faithful. Now, I can't help you if you want to say, I just don't think God is faithful. I can't help you there because Scripture says he is. And I'm going with that this morning. That no matter what it is that, that you're struggling with or, or trying to hide or, or worried that nobody else would accept you because of, God is faithful purify you from all unrighteousness. What I have loved about this church so far and my experience of it is that you are willing to come and you are willing to pray uh, and to confess things and to be encouraged and supported by other people. Not only that, when you come, I see support from other people, that you don't come alone, that people are going to meet you at the front. And we don't have to do that. But let me tell you, just like Joe Beam had, had experienced and, and researched, when we do that, we get real serious about what we're doing here. Did I say I have a love for God and love for others? Sometimes that is shown through confession because then maybe I needed the courage to, to express something and that gave somebody else, oh, they struggle with that too. And now we've got support. And now we've got encouragement. And now we've got church. Because that's what church is. That's what church should be. And I pray that every time we come here and, and assemble, we are not coming just to feel better about ourselves, but we are coming to grow closer to each other and to grow closer to God. That when we have read week after week, love God, love your neighbor, love others, that we come here wanting to do that. And confession is just a part of it. Again, you have the opportunity to walk away today having confessed, and God will be faithful to forgive you of anything you have done. Anything. So, trust in the words of Scripture this morning. We're going to offer an invitation. If uh, you'd like to pray about something, you'd like to confess something before the church, we'd love to do that. Um, if you'd like to be baptized and start that walk with Jesus Christ this morning, we'd love to witness that. We'd love to encourage you, support you. Uh, hug your neck and uh, just offer our, our life experiences as well. Would you come as we stand and sing?